Proverbs chapter 12, and I'm going to see if I can do the whole chapter. So one of the things that might help me is if I stick to my notes, <laughs> I'd probably be able to do this. Okay, but man, what a blessing it is to study these Proverbs. Verse 1, it says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is that word. I can't say it. <laughs> no, actually, I can't. It's in the Bible. They're stupid, okay? And so, <laughs> you guys know this, huh? Going through the Proverbs, that a common theme is how the wise, they love instruction, even when that instruction is correction. You know, pointing out something that I've done wrong, uh, or maybe that I'm doing wrong, uh, it's good to be corrected. And we see the word uh, found frequently in the book of Proverbs in Proverbs 3.11, we've already covered that passage. It says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. You know, God w wants to deal with us to make us right, more like him. Proverbs 10.17, He who, corrects, who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. I think it was Fonzie. For those of you guys who remember Happy Days, he had a hard time saying that he was wrong. I was wrong, you know? And as for me, I've just basically learned it doesn't matter if, uh, if you're a pastor, a leader. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to do things that are wrong. And it's okay to own up to, him, own up to it. Sometimes I think what ends up happening is people will look for a pastor who, um, who's, who can teach great, and that's fine, but also look for a pastor who's teachable. Uh, they want a pastor or a leader who's always correct. I don't know if that's possible, but it might be better to have a pastor or leader who is correctable. Because um, being teachable, um, being open to correction is part of the whole instruction thing. And when we do things according to God's word, then we're going to be in good shape. The other day, I'll tell you real quick, I went uh, to have dinner over a friend's house. And they have a, a son, his name is Julian. And it was just so cool to see him put together his little Lego uh, characters uh, but these Lego characters are very complex. Have you guys seen how small these parts are? And, and, and so I was so proud of him to see the way that he was following instructions to a T. And I was telling him, I said, man, that's a good characteristic that you have as a young man right now because that'll spill over into when you're putting things together for your family. You follow instructions, and that'll spill over hopefully even one day when you're, when you're reading the Word and, and you're learning the instructions, even when it has to do with correction. And so we need to be open to that. Otherwise, we're that word. Stupid. Verse 2, it says, A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. Now, just real quick, I want to, uh, because I've had conversations with people about this. They say, well, the Bible says there's no such thing as a good man. You know, they point out those verses in Psalm 14.3 or Romans 3.12 where it says there's none good, no, not one. And right away they start having that debate. Um, even Jesus said in Matthew 19.17 that no one is good but one that is God. So what are you talking about, a, a good man? Well, the Bible mentions good men uh, in many places. Uh, we'll see it in the Psalms. We'll see it in the Proverbs. Jesus even mentions a good man in Matthew twelve thirty-five that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart uh, brings forth a good words. Barnabas was called a good man in Acts eleven twenty-four and other places. And so all that to say, 
Um, there are some that are identified or described that he's a good man. He, she's a good woman. But here's the difference. They're not inherently good. The only one that is inherently good is God. And when we allow God to do a good work in us, then that individual can now be identified as a good man or a good woman. When a person allows the goodness of God to fill and flood their hearts, then that person may be good in that sense. We call it a communicable sense. So if you ever see someone and you're like, man, they're just such a neat person, understand, I mean, it's not them. It's the Lord in them. That way the Lord gets all the glory, okay? Verse 3, it says, A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Uh, to be established is pretty important. It means that your place in life is safe and solid and secure because God's got your back. Uh, there are those who find their security in weird ways. You know, they're, they're pulling strings or manipulation or intimidation. But what we find is that the root of the righteous, I like that, the root of the righteous, that person will not be moved. I don't care if all hell comes against them. The whole wide world comes against them. Because they're righteous, they won't be moved. Now, you're going to see in this chapter, and you see it a lot in the Proverbs, uh, eight times the word righteous, twice the word righteousness, and nine times the word wicked. And so we always come back to this as far as what God is calling us to is to be people of righteousness, uh, people that have the imputed righteousness and the imparted righteousness of Christ. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, or if you're watching online and you're not a Christian, then, in, I, I hate to break the news to you, but you're wicked, and when you die, you'll, you'll die apart from God, and you'll be separated from him forever and ever. That's the truth. Um, we'll see that in the Proverbs, the wicked. But when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, you acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that you know he died for you, he paid the price for your sins and rose again, and you give your life to him, then you are considered righteous. And then as a Christian, then you get not just the imputed righteousness to your account, but you then begin to grow in the imparted righteousness. And as time progresses, and, and this just depends on how much you surrender to him, it can actually happen faster. You're going to be more and more like Jesus. You're still going to be you. Praise God for your crazy personalities. I love you guys. <laughs> but you are going to have the character of Christ, okay? And so uh, verse 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. And so a virtuous wife of valor is an obvious blessing to her husband, allowing him to be all that God wants him to be, even if it has to do with a crown, even if he's called to be the king, so to speak. But the flip side of this is a wife who is an embarrassment. Uh, what he says right here, it says that it's rottenness in his bones. It just kind of tears him up on the inside. And, uh, you know, I, I will say this because as a pastor, I see a lot, and I remember even hearing the words from my pastor. He said 
sometimes the wife, if she's not really right or on, on board or on, on that same page, she messes up a man's calling in life. And I can see that here, and I can see that in different ways, and it's kind of a bummer. Like I'll, I'll just say, wow, that brother is being used by God. It's cool, but I actually think he could be used so much more if only his wife would stop being so rebellious and humble herself and let her husband be the head of the family so that she could be the crown of her husband. But, you know... Um, the Lord has to show that wife because what we see is that when she's virtuous, when she's excellent, you know, she becomes that crown. Let me say a few things in this. Number one, wives, in light of that verse, strive to be excellent. If you're a wife, strive to be excellent. Number two, husbands, water your wife with love so that she would bloom. We can't blame it all on the wife because a lot of times it's because the husband's neglecting her. So water her with that love so that she'll bloom. And then number three, single people, you single people, wait on the Lord for that one he has for you. Because if you marry the wrong person, you might mess up your life. Wait on the Lord and you'll find the one who is excellent is the one who is meant for you. Verse 5, it says, The thoughts of the wicked are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. And so the thoughts, it all starts with our thoughts. You guys have heard that saying, you sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, and you sow a character and you reap a destiny. It all began with thoughts. You know, we could um, be thinking of so many different things right now. You know, you could be thinking about what you're going to have for dinner afterwards while we're in the middle of a Bible study. I try so hard when I'm worshiping to think about the words that I'm singing and to sing them to the Lord. But there's a battle going on in our mind because we can be distracted with all these different things. So I encourage you to, by the grace of God, get your thoughts squared away. The Bible talks about bringing every thought into captivity. In 2, Timothy, 2 Corinthians 10, 15, the Bible says in Matthew 9, verse 4, that Jesus knows every single thought we have. And so um, we need to make sure that our, our thoughts are, are right. And, and what we see here is that it doesn't start with that, you know, consciousness. It actually starts with that righteousness. Right? You look at verse 5 again. The thoughts of the righteous are right. And so just make sure that you are in right relationship with God. Verse 6, it says, The words of the wicked are lying wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. And so you guys know this, huh? I mean, the, the, the way of the enemy and all those who are under his influence is just hatred and murder, while the way of the Lord and all those who are under his influence are love and life. And so the wicked says, hey, lie in wait to kill. That's the way they solve all their problems. But, you know, we, of course, know that the wicked won't get away with it indefinitely, that eventually they're going to pay the bill for the blood. Sometimes it's sooner than later. Look at verse 7. It says, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. 
So again, it goes back to, are you saved? Do you know the Lord? If you do, are you growing? Are you being more like Jesus? That, that goal of just being righteous, in right relationship with God. And, uh, and you know, with what we see right here, it says the house of the righteous will stand. Um, I see this a lot in the Proverbs. Whenever he mentions the house, I always think of my family. Before I was a Christian, growing up, uh, family wasn't really much. I, I didn't really have that whole mentality or concept. I, I didn't have that nuclear family. But by the grace of God, when I became a Christian, I realized how valuable the family is. Uh, I've told you guys this before, but may you never forget that the fabric of society is family. And so when we're righteous, it says the house of the righteous will stand. And it doesn't necessarily mean that your children are all going to serve the Lord. I mean, of course, I think they have a greater chance when they're in a home that is, is genuine. But I think that at, for us, I think there's, you know, families that will stay together. And I think there's a beauty and blessing upon the home. And so um, prayerfully, we're, we have this understanding how it impacts our, our family. Uh, the next verse, 8, it says, A man will be commended according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. And so, I mean, it's kind of cool when people say good things about you, when they commend you, when they recommend you, when they think highly of you. But I think you guys know by now how huh, whatever you do, don't trip on that. I mean, the, what matters more? What they say about you or what God says about you? It's about the Lord, right? And what we find right here, the main thing in this passage is to be of a pure heart not a perverse heart. Notice again, a man will be commended according to his wisdom, but then the contrast is, he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. And so um, I was thinking about Abigail and Nabal, and if you guys get a chance, you read that story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. To me, those are like the epitomes of those two concepts. Uh, Nabal was a fool. I mean, this guy was just a full-on fool. And when David and his men guarded his flock, uh, David came and said, hey, do you think maybe we can get some pizza or something out of this? And uh, Nabal's like, who are you? You know, you're, you're nothing to me. He was absolutely not in tune with the Lord whatsoever. And so David and his men, uh, they were on their way to come, and they were going to wipe everybody out. But Abigail, his wife, had so much wisdom, so much wisdom, and she ended up uh, saving the day. And so um, these, are, these are two that I was thinking of, one so wise and one who had that perverse heart. In the end, uh, Nabal ended up dying of a heart attack. I think God struck him, and Abigail ended up being uh, the queen. Next verse, it says, Better is one who is slighted but has a servant than he who honors himself but lacks bread. And so it's never good to honor yourself, especially when it's not true. Basically, we have someone here saying, you know, that they got a lot of money when they really don't or whatever. It's all talk. And, and what we find right here is saying, hey, but you have a guy over here who has a servant, maybe not a lot of servants, but he has a, an employee, I guess you could say, is one way to look at it. And it's as if you've been blessed with the business. God has blessed you financially 
it, it doesn't matter that others think little of you. The truth is, you're doing okay. You guys got a roof over your head? You got clothes on your back? You, I'll bet you almost anything that you guys have good food. Huh? You do, huh? God has blessed us with bread. Next, it says, A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. And again, notice it, it starts with the heart and being in right relationship with God, a righteous man. And if you are, and you're going to care for your pet, if your heart is right, but if your heart isn't right, even the best you have to offer, your version of tender mercies will actually be cruel. And I remember when I was growing up, I don't want to say who, but I had uh, relatives that would pick up cats by the tail and... Um, whatever, kick them, like they would just throw them all over the place. They're like, hey, watch the way it lands on its feet, um, stuff like that. And uh, now we've come a long way. I think that we know what the Bible has taught all along. Um, I have uh, some neighbors that have this dog that I've fallen in love with. I had my dog, Chip, for many years. Um, and so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're nice. We love, we care, even that. Um, aspect of life. We don't, uh, I was reading today, and I don't want to share too much on this, but God help us, however, not to go to the, the extreme where we value animals more than people. You know, there are some people who are like that, and you see them with their dogs in their carriages and stuff like that, or whatever. You have these, um, these, these eagles that are protected. You know, you, there's a $10,000 fine if you uh, damage one of their eggs, but yet we say that it's okay to kill babies. You know, we have some politicians that say it's okay even to do the, uh, the ninth month or even after they're born. So take care of your animals. Love on them. Don't ever mistreat them. But never go to the extreme where you treat them or value them more than people because we are created in the image of God. It says right here, He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. I'm not sure if I pronounced that word right. But, you know, till your land, it means break up that fallow ground, dig, prepare, cultivate, work hard. If you do, you'll be blessed uh, with bread. And um, just as a quick side note, because I've had conversations with all kinds of different people who have different perceptions. And uh, I, I need to say this, that... Um, Sometimes you have people who take all the credit for the bread they've made, you know, the money, the success, you know, but this is a good illustration of how we do our part. We work hard, but, you know, we can't bring bread. We can't bring success from that seed. We can't make the grain grow. I mean, yeah, you can work hard and you can plant that seed and water it, but you don't make it grow. Deuteronomy chapter 8 talks about how sometimes people, they get blessed, and next thing you know, they take all the credit for it, and the Lord's all, wait a minute, I'm the one who gave you your hands. So work hard. Um, you'll get bread, but make sure you give God the glory. Make sure you're, you're, you're doing the right thing. But um, at the same time, we have to make sure that as we work hard, we don't follow frivolity. You know, and, and frivolity is basically 
everything that this world or your flesh will tell you to chase. The American dream. Okay, cool. Is it the, the Almighty's dream for you? Don't chase things. Don't go on rabbit chases that are not of the Lord. You know, Mark Twain, he said, Civilization is a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessaries. And we think it's necessary. Really? Um, be careful that you don't pursue those things that are not of the Lord. You know, when I was younger, I pursued uh, being a rock star. You guys know I was in a heavy metal band, right? And we used to play parties and clubs, and, you know, we wanted to do that. And eventually the time came where he said, you know, even I knew, hey, i got to grow up. I have to sell my guitar and my amplifier, and that was for me. Maybe not for you. Maybe you're going to be a rock star. That's between you and the Lord. But I just know for me I had to stop following that. Or, or maybe even for Judas. You know, Judas, think about it. He had this ministry with Jesus. And, but his, you know, pursuit was, we got to overthrow the Roman government. That was his passion. That was his pursuit. It, it was just earthly. It was just temporal when the Lord had so much more for him. Next, we see the wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. And so, you know, again, going back to what the world has to offer, what they want to give, and you sometimes you want what they have, when in all reality, if you're serving the Lord, you're going to actually bear supernatural fruit. And that's what it says right there. The, the root of the righteous yields fruit. Fruit is moral fruit. Like Galatians 5 talks about, 22, 23, love, joy, peace, all that kind of stuff. Fruit is ministry fruit. When, because you're serving the Lord, and it, you don't have to be the pastor. You might be someone doing sound, or you might be someone doing you know, something else. You're still part of it. You're just as much making that possible. You're giving, or whatever it might be. People get saved. People get sanctified. Families stay together. People go to heaven because of you. That's fruit. So rather than having the Maserati or whatever, the mansion, you're part of the missions. And what we see here is this is so much better. Next, it says, The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. And so uh, to transgress, it means that you've crossed the line with your lips, that you just said what you wanted to say, not what God wanted you to say. Have you ever done that? Ever said something, you're like, man, I wish I could ha take that back, <laughs> but it's too late, right? Um, that's why I always tell you guys uh, a good prayer to pray each day is Psalm 141, verse 3, where it says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep watch over the door of my lips. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. Pastor Chuck was telling a story about some guy. Because, again, it's interesting when you look at the verse. It says how the wicked is ensnared uh, by uh, the words of his mouth, by his lips. And um, sometimes people just keep talking. And next thing you know, they talk themselves into trouble, huh? He was talking about how one day someone stole an agape box. So we don't have the agape box out from the church. And uh, can you believe that? They stole the agape box. I guess he took it down the, the road. He, 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 he hit it with a sledgehammer or whatever, pounded it open, took everything out. 
um, a few weeks later, he was at a bar and he was bragging about what he did. And it just so happens that in that bar, there was a backslidden Christian and she heard what he said and uh, she told the police and they had the report and they went and they arrested him. So be careful what you say because <laughs> you might ensnare yourself. Okay, uh, next we see a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. And the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. Or as one translation puts it, wise words bring many benefits and hard work brings rewards. Next, we see the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Which is precisely why we need to be open to the perspectives of others um, because we don't see everything. And sometimes uh, that's why we fight. That's why we argue. Because we think we're right all the time. When in all reality, uh, we're not. We have many blind spots. And that's why we need the counsel of others. We see here a fool's wrath is known at once. But a prudent man covers shame. And so uh, sometimes... You know, we might not realize what a person's like unless they're put in the hot water in certain situations, right? You know, you might think that person's nice or she's really nice, but um, what happens if you push that button or if you question or correct that Christian? What happens if there's some sort of wrong done to them? Will wrath follow? And that's what he says right here. A fool's wrath is known at once that something's going to happen to push that button next thing you know he's upset when the person is a fool and therefore full of themselves you'll see it in situations like that but right here we see that a, a prudent man covers shame a wise person in other words overlooks an insult they, they stay calm in those difficult situations they, they shake it off and they just give it to the Lord Verse 17 says, He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. And the truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. And the one common denominator you see in those three verses is just the lips and, and the tongue and what we find right here is that this scripture has to do with speaking. And when we tell the truth, we contribute to justice. When we speak kindly, we can actually help make someone healthy. And when we tell the truth, then what we see here is we'll go the distance. That truth will actually go the distance. And we won't just be a shooting star, but there'll be a legacy in your life. It'll impact eternity, kind of like Pastor Chuck to me, I still wake up in the morning, I read my Bible, I ask the Lord to show me what he wants to show me, and then I listen uh, to, to Pastor Chuck. And so uh, the contrast here is that the false witness will bring about injustice. An abusive tongue is reckless, and those cutting words will beat people down. And that what we find is that what, you know, sometimes those lies, you know, they might give you success for a season, but eventually the truth comes out. And so we see how important it is to make sure we tell the truth. Uh, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. 
And so deceit is in the heart. You know, it's always, you know, good to check what's in my heart, Lord. Is it deceit in order to beat someone or is it peace? Is it joy in order, in order to counsel and distribute that to others? And so I encourage you, ask the Lord to show you your heart. You know, he will. He'll expose things, those weeds that need to be weeded out. Next, we see no grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. And so it doesn't mean that the righteous don't experience trying and troublesome times. It just means that it doesn't overtake or overwhelm us when we're Christians. Uh, we're filled with the Spirit, and their lives are tragically filled with evil. Next, we see lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. I was listening to one study, and um, they were talking about how, uh, you know, our kids, you don't have to teach them to lie, huh? They just automatically know. Hey, did Johnny, did you eat the cookies? No, I didn't. And they got cookie crumbs everywhere, right? But you do have to teach them to tell the truth. And so Chuck was saying that this was the one verse his mom told him all the time. That lying lips are an abomination. <laughs> and so tell your uh, kids that. All right. Uh, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. And so we've touched on the importance of hard work. Often we're going to see that. I encourage you guys that have jobs, work hard, man. Be the best employee. Let them see that you're a Christian and you, uh, you sweat for the Lord. Again, here once again, we see that notion of promotion, though, that the hand of the diligent will rule. Uh, the lazy man is the man who only works when he's pushed or forced or when he's watched by his supervisors. Next, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. And so there's, there's a huge verse today. I, I know we don't have a lot of time but it's a huge verse in the day that we live in because there's so much anxiety and so much depression. Anxiety it refers to worry or nervousness. Um, uh, typically, it's about an event or something that you know we don't know what the outcome will be. A couple of things to, to take to heart right here. Number one, uh, if you're dealing with anxiety or depression or you're counseling someone who's dealing with it, uh, uh, number one, a good prayer life. And the number two, a good word. A good prayer life, because the Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in through Christ Jesus. And so you're praying, and he mentions four different ways of praying, supplication, thanksgiving, request, you're praying. Then what ends up happening is the peace of God, it guards your mind and your heart. And so a good prayer life, and then a good word. And usually the good word comes from the good word, the Bible, and it usually comes from a good man or a good woman who are under the influence of a good God. Next, we see the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. And so it's interesting, the word chooses, in the Hebrew language, it literally means to search out or to explore. 
And so I don't know if there's, 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 uh, this is one of those big decisions of life that um, I really encourage you to, to really bring before the Lord, who our friends will be in this life, who we'll walk with in this journey. We have to do our best to surround ourselves with godly friends, not worldly, not wicked. I'm not necessarily saying that we can't have people that we're reaching out to in our lives, but when it comes to friends, people we're close to, people we're getting counsel from, surrounding ourselves with Christian counselors is so important and we need to be so careful. You know, when you look at this, it's a heavy verse. Notice again what it says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. And so you, your best friend, your friends, are they godly? Be careful, because if not, they might lead you astray. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three. it says something similar. It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And it's interesting, real quick, and I know it's getting dark. I don't know if you guys can still see your Bibles or not. Um, but uh, the word friends can also be translated neighbors. And so Lot, remember what Lot did? He went and he moved towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And look what happened to him. He's probably a good example of somebody that suffered because he chose wrong neighbors. Next, we see the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. And again, we're going back to this, and hopefully you guys know this, the, uh, the ethic, the value of working hard. Hunting is probably fun, but cooking might not be as fun. And here you have a guy who likes to hunt, and he goes and he gets the food, but he doesn't cook it, right? And so diligence actually means that we don't just start the job, but we, we finish the job, that we get it done. And I was thinking about uh, a couple of things on this. I got convicted because um, although I don't go hunting in the wilderness or whatever, I do go hunting at Sprouts. And so when I go to Sprouts, I get a pineapple because I want to juice it for my wife. But I'll be honest, there's been a couple of times where I did, I, the pineapple went bad because I just got lazy. Or another thing might be a watermelon. You get a watermelon, you have good intentions. Next thing you know, you forgot to cut it. and it's, Or you maybe not forgot. You just weren't diligent in cutting it. And so, um, I don't know. The, the Lord kind of gave me that application. Last verse here. It says, In the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. And that's why I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're doomed. Because you're going to have to stand before God on your own righteousness and you don't have any. Heaven is for people who are pure. We need the blood of Jesus to wash away our sins. And so uh, the way of, of righteousness is life um, and its pathway, in its pathway, there is no death. And so for us as Christians, it's just simple, man. Stay in the way of righteousness. Don't delay to stay in the way of righteousness. The promise here is that there is no death. And I was even thinking, and my dear sister Mercedes, and so many of you here, 
we have loved ones that have passed away and, and you know, they, whatever. I don't even like to use the word died because they didn't. There is no death for them. They're alive. She's alive. And that's what the Bible says in John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her, do you believe this? Let me ask you a question. Do you believe this? Jesus, huh? The way, the truth, and the life. Stay there.